He said, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations. I think she's a liar and I think she deserves mockery. It was something about when I put this hat on, it made me feel like Superman. Black lives are very important. White lives are very important. And to me, all lives are very important. Very, very important. Damn! This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, your boy, Daniel White Hodge. doing out there in podcast land good people yeah it's your boy dan white hodge coming at you profane faith another week and man it's the it's the freaking holiday season y'all oh my gosh oh geez um man i don't even know what to say i am in decompression mode from the year from the academic year um hanging with fam this is actually a really good time um just for me and a chance to reconnect uh i I mean you know here's the thing on an educator's uh you know schedule uh as someone who teaches in the academic world um i i ain't gonna lie i i look forward to these breaks it's it's an it's a great pause that uh that we get as educators and i've said it before on this show uh, especially if you were listening during the summer because you know summer break is really nice i think everybody should get this i think we should all follow a school schedule and work <laughs> and uh because you know i mean it's it, the break is good we all need breaks all of us do Irregardless of what people say and what people talk about, oh, you got to work hard. You got to, yeah, of course. I imagine all of you listening to this podcast right now work hard. You guys put in your time, you do your thing, but we have not learned to rest well. And that's been an ongoing theme uh, here throughout uh, season three is looking at rest, self care, uh, behavioral health, all of those things that make, that really can make or break you. Stress does some crazy things to the body, um, and uh, it affects us all in different ways, of course. Um, but I have come to find that I need to pause. I need to to relax. I need to have these things. And as someone in my own personality and just the way I'm hardwired in general, I need that these breaks. Uh, I'm not a nine to fiver type of kind of guy. I don't know. I mean, you know, I give it to people who do that. I don't really know how folks, you know, get up and then do nine to five and do the cubicle. Hey, if you're doing that, God bless you. Maybe you listen to this in your office right now. God bless you. Really, seriously. Um, but at the end of the day, for me, I just know that wouldn't wouldn't work. And I think in all my, I'm trying to think back in my job career. Yeah, I've never had a nine to five. I mean, I've had jobs like it. But even when I was doing construction and apartment maintenance, I kind of made my own schedule. Um, and that's just been, I don't know, I just, I, that's just me. It's just who I am and how I roll. And so as an educator, I love this schedule. And so 
I'm really looking forward to this time off. I'm really looking forward to hang with the family, eat some good food, hang with some friends. Um, man, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Um, and so I encourage you, wherever you're at, if you celebrate this holiday season, if not, um, I also know this holiday season can be very depressing for a lot of people. Um, it can be a time of distress. Um, you know, uh, holidays and anniversaries are always rough, especially when you've experienced a death. Um, in the family, I know the first few years uh, when my grandmother passed away uh, back in 2009, you know, they were rough. They were just hard, you know, because that used to be our tradition. My mom and I would go out to Texas. We'd drive from California all the way out to Texas. And that would be we stay there for like two, three weeks, hang out. She'd cook the whole nine. It was just like an amazing memory. And I always have those memories. But it was just hard. And I, not that I've necessarily gotten past it or whatever. I've gotten some better coping skills. I've allowed my myself to to grieve, which is also important as well. Um, but it but it can be. I mean, and I, and I know that. I mean, I know as someone who struggles with depression and anxiety, um, you know these these times can be that way and stuff. And so um, don't be ashamed to admit it, and don't be don't hold out. Go and get some help. Talk with somebody. Um, you know, raise your hand and say, I, I need some help. I need I need somebody to to walk with me or I need so I need you know I just need to go and talk with somebody professionally you know and whatnot um and so yeah I had a friend uh, a few years back uh, commit suicide um she was African-American uh highly educated all that and then, you know of course that doesn't matter but my point being is is that uh it doesn't matter that she's educated my point being is that it <sighs> These are rough times. I get it. I get it. The holidays, right? Because it's the culture of it, right? Oh, you're supposed to be with family or you're supposed to be with this person or, oh, man, you know, you're supposed to, you know, all these supposed tos. That's, <laughs> man, those things can really take it out of you, y'all. Um, so I, my, part of my thing is, and I'm not a big like, oh, you know, I'm going to make a New Year's resolution. I hate New Year's resolutions. I stopped doing them. I don't know, about 60 years ago or so. I'm just, I, mm, I, if, I, if I need to change, I'll just start a change. Doesn't matter what time in the year. That's just me. I know some people love New Year's resolution. Especially people, you know, all oh, 2019 is the new me. It's just going to be another day for me. And on the Gregorian calendar, you know, we'll just shift into another year. Who knows what year it really is, right? Um, but my again, all that to say, um, you know, these these times, these these days that we're living in, especially if you're in the activist arena, especially if you are doing any kind of education and trying to be you, it, 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 take, it takes a lot. It takes a lot out of us. And, um, you know, one of my things is, is like as we go, you know, move forward, I would challenge us to really begin to deconstruct what are some of the supposed to's that you hold on to. OK, what are some of the things that you have been told? What are the expectations that you have been socially constructed to to do as a man, as a non-binary, as a woman, as as a person, your race, your socioeconomic background. This is what we should be doing, right? It's like, you know, as a black man, I should be acting this way. I should dress this way. I should talk this way. Um, all of those things. That, and that's an ongoing process. You know, be forewarned. You know, it's if you uh, you get into that, it's uh, it's. Um, the real deal because you know you'll you it'll continue down it'll continue trick to trickle down so be forewarned uh it's a good process though it's a good process you know i highly recommend it so 
Listen, I don't want to take up too much time uh, here. I got a great guest, uh, Jem Jeeva. She is amazing. Yeah, You're going to hear this conversation. Now, I wanted to have this conversation particularly uh, right before uh, I go on break. Uh, I'll explain my break after her interview. But before I, I go on break, and this is not the end of season three. It's just a pause, the holidays, blah, blah, blah. I got some great guests lining up for 2019, so they're coming. Um, and we'll continue on uh, and whatnot. But... Um, yeah, Jim, I met her a few years back. I had her uh, out to the school I teach at and I uh, had her do an interfaith, um, like a, a, a little mini conference. And she was amazing. She was here at the time in Chicago, um, getting up. She was getting an MDiv or something like that from the University of Chicago. Um, she's a California native. She's Pasadenian. <laughs> and um, she, uh, man, she she's just got some great stuff. I had her out with Najiba uh, Saeed. And so, Najiba, if you're listening, I've been trying to get you on this podcast now. Shoot. Come on now. I'll get Najiba on here. Uh, she's another one. And so her and Najiba came out. I had heard um, Ibu Patel speak. And I was like, I got to get this brother out. And Ibu was like, look, man, who you really need to get out is Jim. So I was like, all right, shoot, let's do it. And she came and brought it. And so I was been, I reached out to Jim, and she was gracious enough to take some time out of her schedule um, to come and to talk and uh, Jim, is, she grew up in Los Angeles. Uh, she has a passion for studying religion and working in higher education. Um, and she's over at Stanford to study interfaith communities. And I'm a big interfaither. You know, if you know me, you know that I've really made my peace with the Abrahamic faith in particular. You know, Islam, Jewish. I mean, we... We all have things that we can agree on. We all have things we can disagree on. I don't agree with everything, you know, in terms of, you know, how certain aspects of Christianity are upheld, right? So, um, and I've expressed those here on this show. But, you know, in terms of Eastern Buddhism, uh, I, I'm still making my way over there. And so it's very interesting to have them. So that's who Jim is. And she's going to talk about that and what that means to be in an interfaith environment. Um, she says she's a practitioner, Zen Buddhist, and a big fan of His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. She thinks about compassion and ending the suffering of others quite often. And that's really where we pick up a lot of the conversation. I thought that was a good conversation to have around this time of year, simply because, you know, we're reflective at this time of year. We're thinking about it. And I want to kind of to kind of mix it up a little bit so that we're not always just talking about the white nativity scene, you know, and white baby Jesus, you know, and all that stuff. Because we all know this ain't Jesus's birthday. That Negro wasn't born here in December. Oh, God damn it. So, <laughs> um, but, you know, it's traditions, right? We celebrate it, and here we come December 25th, you know. And, and especially, you know, here's what I, you know what I like to do. I actually like to go around to other Christians and just say happy holidays just to piss them off. I like to see where they're at, you know what I'm saying? That's just one of my little things, you know what I'm saying? So if you're around me, you know I'm going to say happy holidays and stuff. Um, I had one person be like, no, it's Merry Christmas. It's like, whoa, geez, all right. Hey, you don't seem too merry. <laughs> right now right uh I, just, I think i just read an article um oh where was that it was in the new york times or was it the chicago tribune i can't i can't remember where it was it was it was literally just yesterday i can't remember i was remember it but it was it was talking about how the you know the merry christmas debate has you know is firing back up again and stuff so i i make it a point um you know to to tell everybody as he's like oh merry christmas happy holidays 
So, anyways, <laughs> so back to Jim. Um, she is, uh, again, she's out there. She's working on a PhD. She's a first-year student out in religious studies at Stanford. Uh, she served as a senior assistant director for the Center of Spirituality, Dialogue, and Service at Northeastern. All right. Her role at Northeastern, uh, Jim, uh, provided spiritual care to students of any and no faith and advised the Northeastern University Interfaith Council. Jim has completed two fellowships for the Interfaith Youth Corps, IFYC, and now serves as a member of the IFYC Alumni Speakers Bureau. Oh, yeah, she's on it. Before moving back to California from Boston, Jim worked as a spiritual life council convener at the University of Chicago, where she received, there she is, yes, Master's of Divinity degree. Jim is also an alumnus of the University of Southern California, where she studied religion, business administration, East Asian languages, and culture and international relationships. Woo! Yeah, we about to get into it, y'all. And I think, because one of the questions I ask her is about, you know, whiteness, her being a white female. And so I, I find what she has to say very interesting. And, and, and I think it goes to that because I said this before, like I get this a lot, especially when I speak to white audiences or give you any kind of workshops or any kind of lectures. Like, well, what is a white person can I do? Here's yet another example of what that looks like. Um, and I just, you know, and, and that's why, you know, I have folks from all over you know, on this show because I don't know those answers. And I'm, you know, and I'm just gotten to the point now where I just tell white folks, like, I don't know that answer for you. I don't, you know, because most of the times we want a quick answer, right? We want these five, do, tell me what to do in these five steps. And I appreciate that Jen problematizes these, some of these issues and, you know, and kind of messes it up, but in a good way, <laughs> in a really good way. Um, so yes, that was my conversation this week, um, and stay tuned afterwards. Like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna be taking a break um, for for the for the podcast. So, uh, but we'll be back. So, like I said, it's not a we're not going off for the season, but you know we're just gonna take a little pause. So, check it out. So, without any further ado, let me give you Jen Jiba and I's conversation right here. And hey, hopefully you get some rest. Happy holidays. <laughs> All right, here it is. Come on. Now you're originally from Pasadena, correct? No, we're from Southern California. Yeah, um, yeah. My parents live in Arcadia, which is you know right next to Pasadena. So, um, so I'm, that's actually where I am right now, and um, like in the kind of house that I basically grew up in ever since I was two. Um, okay. And yeah, but I've like kind of I kind of went like on a world like a round trip tour around the United States and then arrived back in California which I'm pretty grateful for now <laughs> yeah yeah um, yeah so but I did you know I, I have to say like I loved Chicago as a city I think it's probably like the the most fun and the best city I've lived in it's just the weather is really oh yeah, oh, yeah. really uh, <laughs> tough. yeah yeah, no, it's it really is. It's 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 horrific. <laughs> it's horrific because <laughs> you're you're doing a doctorate now, or you or nah? Yeah, so I'm I'm in a I'm in my second year at Stanford in the studies. Yeah, PhD program. Damn, man, you are you are something else. That's what's up. <laughs> that is what's up. Now I'm assuming you uh, grace the halls of the American Academy of Religion. Yeah, um, I got to do my oh my gosh, I got to do my first like presentation it was like a round yes. table and yes. i've never been so acutely like nervous in my life <laughs> i know i know <laughs> i know oh my gosh i had to be like okay 
Good thing I had like a smoothie and like not much else to eat because I it was like sweat <laughs> and just oh my gosh and I had to go last too which I think oh you're just sort man. of sitting there like uh <laughs> La- last and first are the worst yeah yeah it was um and everybody else was like wonderful everybody like the presentations were incredible so I was like oh I better not mess this up. Oh, no. The first time I presented at AR, James Cone shows up and he's in the front freaking row. Oh, no. And I'm like, Lord, have mercy. Come on. Oh, my God. Come on. So, yeah. Yeah, I know. I know all of that. I yeah, I've I've tended to eat very light when I when I go because. Yeah. Pro tip, yeah, definitely. Yes. No, that's what's up. That's what's up. Why? Well, I, I, we'll have to connect when in, uh, what's the next year? Oh, San Diego. Yeah, San Diego. That, that will be nice. Yes. West Coast brings them out. Yeah, I, I feel like everybody wants to be in San Diego in November. So that's good. <laughs> well, I know I'm going to be. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Jim, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is exciting to have you on here. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I, this is the first time I've ever done something like this. So, oh my goodness, I man, I would assume you was podcasting up left and right. No, I listen to a lot of great podcasts, um, but I've never actually like partook partaken in one. So, all right, all right, yeah. all right. Well, cool. Well, for the audience, how what? Uh, so the question is that I ask everybody is <laughs> what 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 has happened between birth and and now in this current time and space. Yeah. With you. Um, well, the short answer is I've just been avoiding the real world as much as possible. <laughs> you and me both. Yeah. So, um, or at least that's what my parents believe, I think, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is not a bad thing. And um, yeah, I, I think I was really um, lucky at like sort of in my my younger years um, to, I traveled a fair amount with my family. And then when I was in high school, I, I went to a, um, that in itself is sort of a story, but I, I went to a boarding school because okay. I really wanted to study Japanese. Um, nice. and the school offered a, like a program where you could spend a year in Japan. So, um, so I did that. I didn't spend quite a year, but like a, a fair amount of my, uh, I think, junior year of high school, I lived in Tokyo and was an exchange student. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, I think that kind of solidified why I wanted to study religion because, you know, my, my concept of religion growing up was Catholicism because my family's, um, my dad's pretty devoutly Catholic. He is okay. like Sicilian immigrants. Um, and so it's, it's still a big part of like our family, how we kind of organize our family. And, um, so, but going, you know, going to a place like Japan and sort of seeing a completely different way of understanding even like our concept of religion often is sort of from a pretty Christian Protestant understanding. And this was, I mean, I think I had so many questions and learned a lot about my own, context and that sort of solidified I, me wanting to study um i i think back at, in that time it was like world religions or i wanted to um you know understand what religion meant around the world and um and my hmm. parents were like that's great but you're going to study business too because at some point 
we want you to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, which I still, I, I did, I worked full time for two years as a college chaplain. Um, All right. Which is still kind of in a university setting, but I mean, I had to show up on time and I got a paycheck, <laughs> which was nice. All of the, yeah. all the things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the, the, um, I've always been fascinated by how people, um, look for transcendence and sort of ask questions that really have no answers. And, um, increasingly like having come back to California, I'm, I'm really focused on, there's so much here. There's so much history. There's so many communities that, um, have just really shaped every aspect of our, our life in Los Angeles and San Francisco and even like the central Valley, um, and all of California's sort of economic and social infrastructure. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's just like, not, it's kind of not well known at all. So I, I think that's been my, my focus since starting at Stanford is just exploring where I am and, and the, history of communities, um, that are here and that have contributed and really like shaped our life in California. Uh, no, that's what's up. Yeah. So, and you, I mean, you're a, a California native too. So it's, <laughs> there's always something new to explore. It's there's always, always all the yeah. time. I mean, well, let me ask this then. So, I mean, growing up, so you got the Catholicism, uh, you know, embedded in your family unit and you came out here to Chicago. To, well, first of all, even back up to, to yes. the, the chaplaincy. What, 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 uh, what, what was that like? And what, uh, you know, what was that, what was that experience, you know, for you and, 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 and all that? Yeah. And I, I mean, it was great. It, I loved, I, I was sort of like a chaplain in training at U Chicago. I worked in the spiritual life office and okay. worked with the spiritual life council, which was kind of like the, it was an interfaith council, but, but it was, um, you had to apply to be on the council and you, you had to commit a certain amount of hours a week. And there was like a whole curriculum. Um, it was really cool. And the students of course are students that do interfaith work in general are really brilliant, curious, kind of quirky people a lot of the times. And, um, Mm. getting to work with them is, is always a treat. Um, and I, and I always like learned so much about myself and like, I definitely learn way more than, than I taught or could impart wisdom. (laughs) Um, I think, but so I was a, a full-time college chaplain at Northeastern University in Boston. Okay. Um, and it, you know, you, I, I hate to use the, like, the, the marker of the 2016 election, but it really, my job really changed um, yeah. after that. It, it, I mean, at first I think it was sort of about, like, let's throw out some programs, let's see what works, and students were, you know, they were engaged around the election, but I think after that, after we knew, um, it, it almost became, my job almost became like, okay, how do I, how do I help students survive? Um, yeah. And, you know, particularly Muslim students, non-white students, um, queer students, and our office really became like a, kind of like a community center for folks that were just like, didn't want to go to their classes and didn't want to go to their, um, their, 
their dorm rooms. And so it really, it, it really shifted our focus. But um, by the end, by the time I left, I think I felt like there's just, there's so much resilience in college students in general. Um, and yes. yeah, it just, I, I left feeling really, um, really in awe of the experience of a college student, especially one that, you know, isn't like the university has not historically welcomed. Um, so yeah, so mm. I, I left kind of wanting to do, to do some academic work around what it means to do interfaith work and, and where interfaith needs to, um, improve on like how we, how we include, not, not how we include, but really like who we're excluding and, and who sets the, the table and the, um, the guidelines for dialogue conversations. Um, and I think that's a big question in interfaith studies right now is like, mm. how, how are we talking about race and, um, queer identities and trans identities in these communities where we want diversity, but we're, we're not necessarily thinking about, um, what it means to sort of still adopt like a white Protestant model of dialogue and thinking about religion and, um, just, yeah, it's, that's kind of the, I think the good struggle that folks are thinking about right now. Yeah. 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 And what, I mean, and so let me ask you this. So, I mean, given that you were uh, in a, uh, you know, a Catholicism or Catholic, you know, environment, what now, because I remember, I remember, because I remember we met through the whole interface core, Ibu Patel, and yeah, that was, he had spoke here at North Park, which I was blown away that they even allowed that, but that was, uh, that was, it was, it was a president ago. So I, I, I can understand where we were at. But he spoke here and I was like, oh, my gosh, I got to I got to hook that up. And so he yeah. you came highly recommended. And I had you and I think Najiba out. You 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 your your faith is a background or at least your spiritual journey is, is Buddhism. Yeah. Um, and that is kind of an interesting story, too. So when I was Come on. Um, so when I, I, you know, I grew up in Pasadena and went to mm-hmm. a, a Catholic school in Pasadena um, and. I was, I, I think my, my poor dad, like he loves sports (laughs) and really, you know, really wanted a child to kind of share that passion with him. And I definitely do. Um, and so I ended up like my whole, my, a lot of my childhood was playing basketball and softball. Um, and, uh, I, my best friend in third grade at this Catholic school, um, was playing basketball on a, like a, Japanese American travel team. And, um, there's this whole, like, there are all these leagues in California, Nevada, um, that where Japanese American families, um, it's really like a big community and they, they have tournaments and, um, and it's pretty intense. Like we would practice once or twice a week and then travel. Like we went to Las Vegas, we went to San Francisco and, Um, so it was a commitment. And so the team really became, you know, a family and and I was the only non-Japanese person on the team. Mm. Um, and you know, now as an adult, I'm like, I'm still unpacking, like I, I probably didn't belong on that team. And I can't, I also can't deny like the, the amount of welcome that the team really like gave me and my, um, my family, like they, 
there was a, a year where this tournament, um, that I think they just decided like, we, we don't want non-Japanese players to play, which now like totally makes sense to me. And I'm like, yeah, of course. Um, but my team for some reason felt like, you know, if, if Jim can't go, then we're not going to go. And it's like such a complicated thing to unpack. Like, okay, this privilege that I live with and now, and, you know, navigate the world with was like the, these, this team still, um, I don't know, felt like to them, it was like, well, we're a family and we travel as a family. And, um, so I think my response to that, I mean, so first of all, like playing on that team, really, I, I wanted to understand, I wanted to go to Japan and I wanted to study Japanese and really like learn Mm. about, um, the history of Japanese Americans. You know, I knew a little bit about internment, but like not nearly enough. It's not, um, nearly the part of our education that it should be. Um, but as I got older, I think what that turned into is like, well, so this, my childhood basketball team really made me an activist. Um, so the part of what I am so I'm really passionate about is like uncovering these stories of, um, people that stood up for Japanese Americans when they, uh, when they were being taken away and like they knew despite what the government was saying, despite what the mayor of LA was saying that this was really wrong. Um, and, and part of that is this, my practice in Buddhism, which is, I think, um, folks know it as like engaged Buddhism and it's really a way of seeing, um, the, seeing the world as a community that, um, I need to constantly sort of, um, you know, uh, navigate as something that I I'm a part of and I owe my work to it. And, um, the practice really helps me center myself and not experience like compassion fatigue or some of the like burnout that activists often, I think, feel because there's just too much to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I mean, and as man, this is, this is deep. I mean, so as you've have gone through and, and been engaging with that, I mean, how, I mean, you mentioned the 2016 election. I mean, I, I completely concur. I mean, a lot of what I do and how I operate in the world changed then and continues to change as a result of just what transpired, you know, that late uh, fall and in, in, uh, two years ago. Um, but now, I mean, how do you engage, right? I mean, say, for example, the, you know, the missionary, what was the name? Uh, Alan Chow? No. Brother who went over and got was killed because he was trying to, you know, quote unquote, oh, yeah. bring the word of God. And I mean, how do you engage in some of these conversations? Or do you, when you think about interfaith, I mean, who who want to evangelize or who folks who may still think, oh, well, she was once Christian, so now we gotta give her a track and you know, get her get her back, you know, get her back in, in on the on the Christian side. I mean, how do you navigate some of those nefarious <laughs> conversations? Or do you? Maybe it's just because I'm on an evangelical campus. I don't I don't know. Yeah, no, it's a good I mean it's a, it's a great question. And thankfully, like I feel super comfortable, um, because of, because of growing up Catholic and even growing up in a particularly like evangelical Catholic community, I don't think my family identifies as like evangelical, but a lot of the, a lot of my classmates at this school and, um, were Catholic, but still like would have, would share the sort of belief that we need to go out and, um, and save 
save people because like hell is a real thing. And, um, and I, I, I get that. And, um, I, so I'm, I'm comfortable navigating spaces where people like hold that as a foundational belief. Um, I think, I think the hardest thing for me is, um, like balancing when, um, when to use my voice and use like my identity as, Mm. as I, you know, live with white privilege and particularly like educational privilege is huge too. I think, um, you know, I've, I've been really fortunate to, um, graduate from two really spectacular universities. And now I'm like in this amazing program with really amazing scholars. Um, and to me, like, there's no point in doing all of this academic work if it's going to stay in this ivory tower academy, Amen. you know, I, um, I was just at a symposium at the Japanese American national museum like a week ago. And I, I spent the morning just sobbing because it was like, it was an academic symposium. So there were these, um, there was a professor from the university of Washington who did this amazing research on, um, black activists who stood up for Japanese Americans when they were being interned. And then there was a woman who spoke about, she, she takes people on, she calls them pilgrimages to, to the camps. And, um, I just, I felt so emotional because people in the audience were standing up saying, you know, thank you so much for this research. I'm a survivor or my parents were survivors or my neighbor. And it, it's just like, wow, this is a space that, needs to happen more often where people can actually like there's a there's a fate their faces and stories to the like research that we often do kind of from afar um and so i think the hard the hardest part for me is um not necessarily like i can take people telling me i'm i'm you know wrong or like that's totally fine. I, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's it's really using the the tools that I have and and like taking a stand, um, and also like knowing when to step back to when my voice is not the voice that should that people should be hearing. Um, that's always kind of a hard thing to to navigate, a hard thing to balance. Yeah, what man? That's an, yeah. I mean. I, Man, you said a lot there. I think, um, what are, because, I mean, when I taught at Cal State Northridge, uh, one of the best courses I taught was an intro to religious studies. And it was just, you know, basic course. And, um, and, but it was, you know, it was always packed, you know, mm-hmm. 45, 50 students. And of course, you just get everybody from everywhere and yeah. whatnot. What are, what are some of the conversations that are happening, particularly for those of us, those who listen uh, to this podcast and, again, are surrounded by a lot of evangelical settings. I mean, it wasn't mm. until I wrote wrote outside of the Christian evangelical world that I just noticed how much I have this this kind of evangelical, you know, just tone throughout. And it wasn't until, like, some Marxist scholars got a hold of me and they were like, dude, your stuff is, um, your stuff is, like, oozing all over the place. And I, I thought um, I'd purge myself. But what are some of the conversations that come up and— and what are some of the things? I mean, when you th- right when you think about good, evil, hell, eternal yeah. life, and all that, I mean, how do you navigate some of those? What are, what, what do you hold in tension? What do you not hold in tension? I mean, I love that you said, you know, you you can deal with folks like that. I want to come back to that because yeah. that that is fascinating. But yeah, what are some of the conversations that come up in a class like what you teach? 
Yeah. I mean, I, the, so the class that I was TAing this quarter, it was awesome. It was called um, The Religious Life of Things. And um, so wow. it was basically like, an, it was kind of an introduction to world religions, but through material culture. Um, which I think is just a fascinating idea because you don't have to do this, like, here's what X tradition believes. Here's some practices here. It's, it was really like a thematic class. Um, so we looked at objects and images and buildings and the body and clothing. Um, and I think honestly, one of the big misperceptions, and this is a misperception in the Academy in general, is that like, evangelical Christianity or Protestant Christianity in general, like doesn't have material culture. And that's just, and a lot of students were like, well, you know, Luther and Calvin, like they don't like images. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But even that becomes like a a tricky conversation because you, you don't want to tell them like, well, (laughs) Luther and Calvin were wrong. Um, You know, but, (laughs) um, but I think just, shifting like opening the the world to say like opening the world for them of material culture to say like well what about like what about churches what if we i mean a student wrote this amazing paper about how evangelical churches are now renting space um from mm-hmm. synagogues and community centers and even i think in san francisco there's a, an evangelical church that meets on Sundays for their service and they rent a Confucian temple space. Wow. It's Yeah. It's just like that kind of thing I think could be uncomfortable for, for folks, but it's also like, this is the reality of what, you know, like, like resources and money and just like practicality do to practice. Um, and, and the other thing I think that students um, even the, the sort of students that are engaged and they're, um, it, whether they are of an evangelical background or they're not like, it's often, I feel like evangelicalism is often talked about from a very white standpoint where, yeah, yeah. um, it's like, oh, evangelicals like said this, or they supported this. And it's like, well, that is like a very particular kind of evangelical. And, um, there's, the diversity within that community is just boundless. So um, that's another thing I think that needs, like I I've been trying to explore and um, re or at least like kind of complicate the narrative of. Um, yes. Yeah. Good. What? I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's good. I mean, I know I I know I definitely go in on white evangelicalism a lot, particularly yeah. on the podcast and you know the last the last text I wrote. But um, you're right. I mean, there is a there is a broad diversity, um, you know, among them. Um, I, so let me ask this again. I'm, I'm like, oh, man, I got I got I got like 30 different questions. But let me start with what. What uh what has been your own spiritual practice? I mean, how do you maintain your own sanity in a sea of of just what is what seems like? Now, granted, you're in California, and I know that that uh one of my last access to California is I voted for Governor Brown, and what I seen it seemed like there were some decent things that that got done in those in those eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's just from a political perspective. But how do you what what are some of the practices that you do personally that that keep you yeah. that keep you you? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't know that I maintain sanity, but I, (laughs) (laughs) come on, at least like, you know, like passing or like, uh, it's always a question. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I do have, I do have a sitting practice. I, I try to every morning kind of, it's part of my routine to get up and, um, sit and just sort of like be without technology or communication or, um, and sometimes that takes the form of like a walk or, um, even like if I'm really tired, it's like laying in bed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it, I, I think I've noticed since I've, I've done it that like when there are periods where I am not so great about it and getting on my phone first thing in the morning is just not a great thing. It just, it starts your day off Mm. anxious and, or at least for me, like I'm anxious. I'm like, okay, I have to respond to all these emails. I have to, you know, what did he do now? um, (laughs) Yeah. What did 45 do now? (laughs) And, um, the, so any time during the day that I can take to just kind of step out and not, um, be part of the cycle of like writing and, and reading and like teaching and all of, all of the sort of things that we have to do throughout the day is so helpful. Um, and the other thing that, and maybe this is, I mean, I think it's a spiritual, spiritual practice. I like, I love writing and reading, um, really powerful, like memoir writing, um, especially spiritual memoir. It just, it, it always helps me reconnect and sort of think about like, what, where am I in this spiritual journey? Um, what, what do I need? What's fulfilling? And, and like, what can I kind of let go of? That's not yeah. being super helpful. Um, yeah. But I mean, no, I love that. I mean, I love that you talked about technology. I had in my, my undergrad media studies course um, this semester I had, you know, I always give students the option to do a creative project. And I actually really encourage that, particularly mm-hmm. as I found with those under the age of 21 and 20. I mean, this, I don't know, <laughs> call, call me wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, but I just, I feel like there's a lot of lost art on writing, yeah. uh, you know, thesis development, voice. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think they can be taught, but it's like when you're a freshman and a sophomore in college and all of a sudden now the professor is asking you to write a position paper, mm. but you don't want to offend them or you don't want to say something that, I mean, so Anyways, long story short, I'm getting into pedagogy now, but all that to say is that I had about six students, uh, all women, um, and it was interesting because they all did a very similar project, and it was they went off social media for a week and then documented every day in video on video, um, wow. and 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 then submitted that as their final project, um, and just fascinating all of them had different experiences one was dealing with anxiety and depression another one was dealing with exactly what you just got through saying which is um i i i noticed that i when i start my day the first thing i pick up is my phone and and i I, then the you know my mind starts racing and you know this and this and that and so Mm. what another was talking about I, i felt so disconnected fear of missing out and so how how is technology how does that come into play with an interfaith dialogue um and 
I mean, you just, I mean, I don't know. For me, that just, that that hits home because I know I'm guilty of. I wish I could say, oh, yeah, no, I keep the phone. No, no, sometimes (laughs) it's just beeping and ringing and I wake up and I'm like, oh, my gosh, really? Today of all days? Come on. (laughs) So, uh, right, exactly. So I'm just curious. I mean, just as, as what are are those, how do those conversations matriculate for you? Um, Whether it be in the classroom, whether they be out in the field. I mean, you being in California, I mean, you 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 guys are in the thick of it now with the, you know, the whole thing on the border. And, yeah. and what's going on down there. Uh, what I mean, I don't know. Does that, does that even make sense? Yeah, I think so. And I, I mean, I, I've, I'm sure you probably feel similarly that like there are some great opportunities on social media to like, I mean, the the I was talking to a friend who went to the border with the faith leaders um, a week ago and just like he, I mean, he, he posted these photos that I'm sure don't do any justice to the actual experience, but even the photos, it was like, you know, I, it was so powerful. I found myself like just feeling all this emotion. And then mm-hmm. like he, after he went and had this experience, you know, he sets up this fundraiser and I definitely felt like, I, I mean, I was going to donate regardless, but I, I do feel like, um, there is a, there's a way to organize and, and be activists online. And I mean, that's not the whole answer. Um, but there, there is a way to have fruitful dialogue and really learn from, um, being, being engaged online. And the, I think the other side of the coin is like, not everyone has the sort of, um, it can be a privilege to have like a social media retreat and like not be engaged. Like not everyone has that option, um, to just kind of turn off, like you can't turn off identity. You can't turn off, um, a fear of like being targeted for who you are. So I try to try to keep that in mind too. Um, and just sort of recognize like when, when am I going down a rabbit hole and really like this conversation would be better to be in person. And when is that like not possible or like, um, Like when, when can it be fruitful to like share things online with a very broad audience and get people involved in particular ways? Um, It's, it's always tough though. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I go back and forth as a, as a self-proclaimed Gen Xer and I, you know, still remembering a time when. There was no internet. In fact, my daughter, I, I told her, we were having some conversation about uh, when I grew up. And, you know, I was talking about how I used to go out and play every day in the summer. And yeah. she's like, well, but what did you do? There's no internet. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, and, you know, so it's like, you know, so I I, I claim my, my middle-agedness. I, w- I will claim that. But I go back and forth because as a speaker, as somebody who's out in the public, I also realize that's my first line of people figuring out, okay, who are you and what do you have out there? And what can I, what can I engage with? You know, it's, so I don't know. I go back and forth and that's a whole nother conversation in that in of itself. Um, so real quick. So fo- folks who are listening may not even know, they may have a skewed understanding of what Buddhism is. Like, how do you define oh, yeah. it? How do you identify within that? Um, what are some of the common misconceptions? I'm not trying to put you on the spot and be like, speak for every Buddhist everywhere. Oh, but totally. from, from you as an educated woman, because uh, <laughs> then the next question I want to ask you is, is how did you arrive to your wokeness as a white woman? But that we'll, we'll get into that in a few minutes. Uh, um, but yeah, how do, yeah, what what can we what, what can we take away from 
from uh with with Buddhism? Yeah. Um and I I mean I also like as a practitioner but not like a scholar of Buddhism, my Stanford has an amazing Buddhist um Buddhist study center called the Ho Center and I've learned so much about the history of Buddhism just from being with my colleagues um that you know mm. I just am not familiar with. So I think but I think as far as pra- like practices go, one of the main misconceptions like is the like often like the exoticizing of buddhism and like Mm. thinking that buddhism in the united states is like the same or practice the same as it would be in japan or china or india or like anywhere in the world and I, i mean just like any faith tradition buddhism in the united states is like is very much an american religion and like is infused with, um, all kinds of issues related to capitalism and racism and, um, like being inclusive of queer and gender non-conforming identities and, um, just like, like every faith tradition. Um, and the other misconception that often people like, um, first of all, people assume that because I, if I say like, I practice Buddhism, that I'm like some kind of, I don't, I don't engage with the world, um, which is definitely not true. And I definitely, um, am also like an anxious, I'm not anywhere near like a calm collected person, which is why I (laughs) practice. (laughs) Um, or even that meditation is like the central part of, um, of Buddhism, which, you know, for some it might be, but for me, it's really like, it really is a, a skill set or a toolkit to helping me understand where there's injustice in the world and how I can thoughtfully try to change it or, or if it's not my place to do that, to at least understand and do the work around like complicating um, what's going on and what my place is in it. So it, um, it's, it's kind of a, like a, I mean, meditation, I think is part of that or in sitting and being contemplative is part of that, but it's also like, okay, how do we organize, how do I organize my daily life such that I'm being, I'm understanding and learning constantly. Learning constantly is, is probably the biggest like thing value I could yeah. aim. Yeah. yeah, I mean, man, yeah, no, that's good. That's that's real good. I've just, um, you know, the audience that's developed, you know, as a result of the show, you know, we're, you know, we're pretty inquisitive, very, very similar to yourself, just, you know, a lot of educated folks, um, yeah. a lot of folks who are just on that journey and, and whatnot, I, you know, but, you know, I'm just... I ask those questions because, you know, I have, I have all kind of folks on here, you know, whether it be Gnostic or atheist or um, just, you know, indecisive or whatever, or all the spectrums of Christianity and whatnot, or, or, or uh, a Muslim for that matter. Totally. Um, and that's one of the questions I always want to ask because I'm just like, there's so many misconceptions. I mean, even a few years back, I had a friend of mine, you know, on my Facebook profile and, and, and I, you know, I had on that. I've, I've, I've thus taken it off since, but it, 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 it you know, had me listening, you know, as a Christian, like, you know, your religious beliefs and stuff. And I remember he sent me this long text or this long instant message or whatever they call it on Facebook now. And, uh, I mean, like, you know, full on essay. I was like, man, if only my students could write this passionately and this <laughs> as well. But, um, I was like, wow, that's interesting. I said, I mean, you've casted a lot of stereotypes on me that, you know, I don't uh, that I myself would 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 push against, and so mm-hmm. it was an interesting conversation that that um, 
you know, that we, we ended up having. Uh, so that's so thank you, you know, for for talking about that and, 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 and just kind of illuminating <laughs> some of that space for us. Um, let me ask this. So again, as as a white woman, what mm. what uh, you know how how did you get your wokeness? I mean, because you know you you uh you saying some things here. I mean, in, that I'm like, wow, that's deep, and I'm <laughs> shoot, man, you okay? How did you how did you get there? I mean, what what happened? Was there an aha moment? Were you always this way? Maybe your parents, you know, maybe y'all was in the civil rights movement. I I don't, I don't know, man. You know, break <laughs> it down for a brother. <laughs> oh, my parents, bless them. Um, they are, my parents are small business owners and they, I like, I will, I would never deny they've worked very, very hard every single day of their life. Gave my sister and I an amazing, um, I mean, really, really like education. They, they have always valued education and I'm like sitting here because of, because of that value. And I, I like, I don't know how, I mean, I, I think I'm always learning. I'm always like trying to, um, part, part of like, I, I don't know if I would, if I would say I'm like woke, but I, I do think, um, there was an aha moment for me when I was at U Chicago and I was leading a, an, a dialogue, um, and, the, a student very, like very bravely came to me, an undergraduate student and said, um, I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel like I can share all the time because people are kind of jumping in without raising their hands or, and I don't, I don't have a personality where I can talk over them. And to me, like, I, I think my reaction was like, Oh, quick fix. Let's just have everyone raise their hands. Mm. Like, and unbeknownst to me. So I, you know, I go to the group and I present this and it's like, it seems super easy. Like, yeah, we're all just going to raise our hands now. And to be honest, all of the men went, they were like, no, that means the conversation won't be authentic and I won't be able to express myself. And that was really a moment for me to be uh. like, whoa, okay. I did not expect this kind of reaction. There's clearly a divide. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so that, I mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of ashamed to say it took me like that long to, um, really understand like in an everyday life scenario that this, like the, this space is unequal. Um, but cause I had been, you know, you study like in, it's hard in divinity school not to understand and not to pick up the fact that there's deep, deep injustice and deep, um, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, like just things that are that people people are suffering. I mean, that's like a that's the first truth in Buddhism is that life is full of suffering. But um, to see to see that like to see it in real life, I think that was a moment for me. And then I also I was really lucky, and I the mentors that I had at USC in the Office of Religious Life and at U Chicago, and then even. Um, I had a, a really, I have a really good friend at Northeastern who is the director of the LGBTQ resource center that just, um, really, and they might not even know this, but they taught me so much about, um, just like critical whiteness and understanding that whiteness is a really, um, I think something they said to me that really hit home for me was like, our existence is oppressive on this land. Hmm. Um, like the day we were born, our existence became oppressive. Um, 
And I was like, whoa, that's true. Like, that's so real. And so like having these, these mentors that really have given me these gifts of like being truthful, um, it tells me that I need to be truthful to myself and to others too. And it just, it's like, there's no, the worst thing I could do is to stop learning and, and, um, engaging and checking like what's going on. Um, mm. yeah, if that makes sense. Oh, that makes great sense. I mean, I think, you know, a big takeaway is, is like you were saying, it's like the mentors, the ongoing, you know, conversations, uh, that, that you have, um, with folks. Yeah. Um, so as, you know, as, as you're going through now, what are, what are some, uh, what are some hopeful pursuits you want uh, to be doing here? I'm assuming you're going to be writing and teaching and, and, uh, and, and, and helping us, uh, the helping the world and, and become a better place that way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I hope that, um, the students had a good time in my, uh, my section. I, I really, teaching is wonderful. It takes up a lot of time and energy, um, and I mean, I was very spoiled. I think my sections were, um, full of like really wonderful students and like that did their work and like, let me know if they couldn't get it done, which I mean, you know, not because students are bad or they don't care, but often like life really does get in the way. Um, and I definitely mm. learned that this quarter too, that like students have real life things happen to them. And it's, it's really, um, like real tragedies. They grieve, they, they struggle, they take care of parents. It's, um, there's a lot that folks don't realize about students, but, um, so my, my hope is I've been working on this, um, this exhibit project that depicts the religious history of California and, Yes, yes, yes. Good. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like it's my 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 parents also have graciously kind of given me the garage and it's full of like stuff like um, artifacts and old photos and toys from religious communities and anything that I can gather. Mm. Um, but the I mean, the hope of that is to a to kind of turn that into my dissertation and think about what has been the, like, how have communities done interfaith work? How have they shared space? How have they practiced solidarity? Um, how have they like really like stood up for each other, um, when there were like laws against owning land and immigration quotas and exclusion laws? Um, there's so many good examples of that in California. So that it's great that I'm here and that that can be my sort of like my, lab, if you will. Um, but the exhibit is also like really this, this idea of bringing our scholarship to the public and also like letting communities be the people that say like, this is, this is the artifact, or these are the, the things that we want to represent our history. And this is the information. Um, it just, I feel like I'm a steward and not like a curator because I, I don't want to be the person that says like, we want this. Um, cause that feels very like museums and the history of colonialism are not great. <laughs> um, so in a way, I hope that this project is pushing against that and pushing against the narrative that, um, also that like objects and artifacts are, and, and material culture are like not part of 
religion and that it's about belief because I think there's so much more there that we can learn. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Man, that's man, this is fascinating stuff. I could I could keep going on this. I definitely want to be conscious of time and whatnot. Um what are some of the things you're reading here as we head into this so wondrous holiday season? Yeah. Um we're always reading. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, that's right. Yeah. Um well I just so I um highly recommended it's a page turner. It's not necessarily an academic book, but um there's a the author of this book is coming to um, Stanford to speak, and the book is called The Fox Hunt, and mm. the author's name is Muhammad Al Samawi, and he um, I don't want to like I don't want to do any spoilers, but basically it's a story of um, an interfaith activist in Yemen who escapes the war and um, like is literally almost loses his life several times throughout the book. So if you want like a thriller, true story, that's a great book. Um, but as far as like in my, um, my coursework, I am making my way through Ibu's, Ibu Patel's new book, um, uh, called of, of many faiths. And, um, anytime I can read bell hooks, um, that's, I, I'm, I return to, that's like a spiritual practice. Mm. <laughs> um, just there's so much um, wisdom in, especially around teaching and education that um, Bell Hooks has written about. That um, I feel like I constantly return to her her work. Amen to that too. I yes, definitely love uh, what Bell Hooks brings. Yeah. Let me ask you this uh, last couple questions. And so you know, if you were uh, the president right now, you oh. were 46, and uh, <laughs> what uh, what would you what would you be up to? Yeah, I would, um, well, I'd be tearing down the proverbial wall that has been, (laughs) (laughs) yes. um, I mean, there are people in my life that are really, really close to me that, um, are undocumented or are like, they, um, they have DACA and just the, you know, we, we know the, I think it's easy enough to understand the struggle in terms of employment, in terms of like sustainability, but the emotional um, toll that it takes on a person and, and the, the family and friends of a person, um, currently is really, um, like nothing short of just, just like terrible. It's, um, I've, I I know that like mental health for the undocumented and the DACA community are, are, is just plummeting. And so I think that, um, I don't even, I don't even want to call it immigration reform. I I really think that, um, there needs to be a moral change in how we understand immigrants and immigration and, um, uh, pathways to citizenship. Um, because it's just, it's an, it's a real injustice to let people suffer mentally, um, and emotionally like this. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I also hate flying, so I would not be on air force one as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, maybe I would, I would just try to stay in, uh, uh, DC and eat all the good donuts and, um, donuts. Yeah. Yes. Are you a donut? Are you a donut fan? <laughs> I love Chicago donuts. There's yes. nothing better. Oh my gosh. That's it's- great. I think I saw a couple of your posts on donuts and I was like, Oh man, <laughs> donuts, that's what's up. Oh Yeah. 
that donuts are amazing. I mean, it's fried cake. Like, how do you get better than that? <laughs> hey, that's right. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, Jim, thank you. This is this has been great. This has been oh, a great thank conversation. Thank you so much. For- this has been amazing. I love it. I love it. I love it. Where where can people find you if they want to bring you out for, you know, to pay you for a TED Talk or, you know, something like that? Uh, yes, my, no. <laughs> um, well, the, the exhibit project is called Golden State Sacred, um, and that is on Instagram. So it's just at Golden State Sacred. Um, and my, I think all of my handles are at um, at Jebbia on Instagram. So J-E-M-J-E-B-B-I-A. Um, and Facebook, Jem Jebbia, Twitter. I think I'm M Jebbia on Twitter, but I, I'm mainly on Instagram because I'm like I like the aesthetic of pictures and <laughs> Yes. Um I also I do have a blog called The Practivist. Um and it's just like a personal blog writing about being a being Buddhist and being an activist and sort of how that's a struggle. <laughs> No, that's what's up. I'm gonna man, I'm gonna put all these uh, in the show notes as well. So for those of you listening, you can go check out Jam and what she, what she's doing. We oh, just barely scratched the surface yeah. of what you are about. I love your presentation when you were here, um, and I always wanted to do another interfaith uh, engagement. But uh, well, we'll just uh, leave it at uh, maybe when I'm at the next institution, I would definitely have <laughs> you out. And I'm always talking with Najiba; she's great as oh, well. She's amazing. Yeah, talk yeah. about mentors. She's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's and she I love that she's not afraid to get in there at all. Oh, yeah. So, oh, she's Great. on it. So yeah, you guys did an amazing job. And so I've appreciated and followed you. And I was like, I gotta get Jim on the show. So oh, that is, was so fun. Yeah. Well, Jim, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thanks for inviting me. It was it was really fun. Now I can say that I've done it and you know, I'm a seasoned podcaster. That's right. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh O'er the fields we go laughing all the way The bells on Bob Oh, Christmas time Oh, Christmas tree And white Jesus And white baby Jesus Oh, man, y'all It is the hollow and days Oh, yes, yes, yes Um, you know it's the holiday season. Oh, yes, indeed. And I wish I had a big sponsorship that I could say, oh, yes, come to, but I don't. So that being said, I am just going to say that, you know, hope you're enjoying the 2018 Profane Faith podcast. I'm actually going to take a couple weeks off just to gather my thoughts and get ready for 2019. So Profane Faith will be back on Monday, January 7th, sharp. All right. Just give brother a couple weeks, just a couple weeks. That's all. That's all. That's all. And um, yeah, I'll be back with great guests as always. Great conversations as always. And we will continue the tradition of your profanity and theology. It will continue, continue, continue. But seriously, hope you guys have a great holiday season. If if you celebrate that, if you celebrate it in any way, hope you're with friends, you get some rest. I know I am. I'm going to decompress and uh, declutter my mind 
do a little music in the lab, hang with the family, read some books. Um, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. So thank you so much for a great 2018, y'all. This Again, this podcast has been amazing just to connect with folks, um, not just interviewing folks, but also hearing from y'all out there. So thank you so much. And again, seriously, I will be back on Monday, January 7th. We'll get it going again, and we'll continue with season three. Thanks so much for making this podcast a great one. Thank you to all the listeners. Thank you to all the subscribers. And thank you for those of you who are just tuning in and saying, wow, what is this? Check us out, whitehodgepodcast.com. Happy 2019. Here we go.